The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everybody. I'm Vanessa Southern. I am the senior minister here at the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco, and it's wonderful to have you all with us in worship from wherever this Sunday, this last Sunday in January finds you. I want to thank everybody who helped make this Sunday possible. To our musicians, Reiko Odelaine, who shared with us our prelude this morning, to Ben Rudiak Gould, who's going to be our song leader, Mark Sumner, our music director, who has curated and coordinated and will lead us in song also today. But especially to our two cellists, who we are so glad to have, Andres. It's great to have you back. Andres Vera is back with us. And with him is Elijah Layson. So we are in for, as you already know, a treat. It's great to have you both here this morning. Thank you. And I want to thank, of course, Jonathan Silk and Julie Ong and Don Shearer, who are part of bringing you the camera and the sound so that you can be here in this room. Joe Chapeau, as always, is on chat in case you have any questions or any help that you need to get connected or stay connected to us this, all, this morning. I want to thank Kelvin Jones and Remigio Flood, who prepared the building for us today and right now are helping some of the winter shelter staff bring in some mats and other things that will be needed for the next weeks that we will be hosting both men and women, um, our unhoused neighbors. And also I want to thank Tom Brookshire and Les James and Alex Starr, who serve at various times as our Zoom coffee hour hosts and we'll greet some of you today. This, I have other people to thank, and I haven't forgotten them, but I want to introduce by saying that today's service is in honor of Lunar New Year. And by my recollection, it was three years ago that Lori Lai and Kat Liu and I, along with Daniel Jackaway, actually, that Sunday, began at least the tradition since I've been here of celebrating Lunar New Year. And honoring the beginning of this year and its festivities, which will begin this year on Tuesday, when our city will begin to celebrate and reflect on what the Year of the Tiger means for us individually and collectively in the city of San Francisco and in our lives. And so I really want to thank Lori for being back here today. I want to thank Wonder Dave for being back and being part of this celebration. I want to thank Amy Kelly, who provided us with the gorgeous and very appropriate cherry blossoms, but also the gorgeous flowers in the good luck colors of green and red and gold for this morning as we, along with some stunning good luck and celebratory decorations that Lori shared from her own home, so that we usher in that spirit of abundant luck and celebratory new beginnings here together. And so we begin our worship. Let's light our blue candle, which we have since the beginning of the pandemic, recognizing all of us who can't be here in body today, but are here welcomed in in spirit until such time as we are all back in body together. And so we begin our worship. Let's sing together our opening hymn of the morning. It is hymn number 194, Faith is a Forest. Welcome. 
is a forest in which dogs play and hide. Inside can hear the still small voice deep inside. Web of life, did this thread I weave strength and commitment to all I believe? Vision be my guide as I seek my way, lead me to in this tender day, speak through me in all I do and say. Seeds of both meek and strong are scattered in air, dignity shines undimmed by bigotry's This thread I weave, help me bear witness to all I believe. Justice be my guide as I seek my way, lead me into tender day. Speak Join me in saying the words of our chalice lighting. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Good morning. If this is your first time watching, thank you for joining us. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm a worship associate here at UUSF. Uh, if you are new, you can follow along in the order of service, which is available in the description of this video you are watching and is emailed to everyone who receives our newsletter, which you can get by signing up through a link to our connection form that is in the order of service and the video description. The order of service also lists upcoming events, uh, and links to opportunities to connect, including our Zoom coffee hour, which will take place after the service. Please note in the order of service, lots of opportunities to get involved and connected, but I also want you to be ready for our February programming, which will be announced next week. It is all around the theme of what we love and serve with love in our lives. It will involve sermons, our book group, six facilitated interviews with members of the congregation whose work in the world is something they are passionate about and willing to share. There's a program in honor of Sidney Poitier 
being organized by Sensible Cinema and music by Stephen Sondheim. February, the month of Valentine's Day, we are going to celebrate love and what we serve with love. Look out for the unveiling of it all and join in. I want to make two other announcements. First, I want to call our attention to our offering today. It will go to support the grants that are given through our Society of Community Works to small nonprofits whose work aligns with our values. You'll hear more later, but I want to prepare you for making a gift to grow this piece of our work in the world. Mark it special offering and today's date if you give through our online portal. Second, in February, as we serve with love, it is appropriately also the month we welcome in our neighbors who are unhoused and as part of that winter shelter program. As many of you know, we feed them breakfast. To do that, we need volunteers. We have lead chefs, but we need helpers. We would, you would help out here at the church from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m. It is very early, but you know what? Rise with the sun. Be your best self. You can do it. Um, there is parking in our garage available for you. Uh, we have no one signed up on 216, 218, 223, and 225. Please sign up on online in the link that is uh, in the order of service. It'll be posted in the chat. It is in the flame. There are so many places you can sign up. Uh, that's all for our special invitations today. And now please join me as we say together our covenant and sing our doxology. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom, and to help one another. Recognizing that there's human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes, we ring our gong today in honor of three such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first, as we have since July of 2019, for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps. For the struggle at our borders and all realities in our nation that speak of the disregard for the human life that reflects xenophobia, racism, and greed that threads throughout our nation's history. We ring the gong seven times for this week of days, bearing witness to this deep, ongoing spiritual tear in the fabric of our shared lives. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses 
to COVID-19 this week. 62,910 lives were lost this week to the virus, 15,987 in U.S. For all those lives cut short and for all those who continue to strain to preserve life and the ongoing trauma presiding over so much illness and death, and for all who are struggling to tend to and prevent such illness and loss, and for all those who could yet be part of the solution. Finally, for all that we hold in our hearts this week, losses, worries, questions, uncertainty, and aching hopes, we ring the gong once to hold all of this. And so may we hold all we have named in our thoughts and in our prayers, and may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can. Now I'd invite us to center ourselves more deeply in this hour, in our bodies, in our breath. As we enter into a time of spoken meditation and shared held silence. Sweep and clean out the old spirit of the new year. Help us make room for the new. But no sweeping on the new year itself, lest we sweep out the good luck or good fortune when it comes. Protect that too. And as this new year approaches, let us make loud noises, bursts of fireworks, and decorate red to keep the Nyan, the beast of old legend and worry, away. Eat sticky rice balls as a reminder of the unity of family, of the family of humankind, even. Do all things that are auspicious and joyful, welcoming in in all these ways, the best kind of change for ourselves and one another. And help us to hold out our hopes, tender as that feels some days. Our prayers and intentions for the things that make life sweetest and strongest for stability in our emotions, dignity in character, to deepen in wisdom, have our compassion reach inside to ourselves so deeply it heals whatever needs healing there, but also can't help but ripple out and touch those we know and the stranger too. We hope to serve the good as we know it this year. 
and come to know it more than we already do. To have ignorance stripped away as hard as that can be sometimes and to live out of gratitude, not what we don't have, but what we do. Gratitude maybe even for the hard moments of learning, even the ability to live through loss and struggle. And may we stay connected to the generations before us honoring their legacy, feeling it run through us, preparing our lives for our own legacy, and a life that each year is full of balance and joy too. Sweet, vibrant, like the celebration that welcomes in the new year. Let us take a moment in silence to be present to our own deepest selves, our own hopes for this Lunar New Year. May all of it ride in on the hopes and celebration of the new year and inspire our living in it. Amen. Thank you, Vanessa, for that wonderful meditation. I just want to say a few words about the music that we're performing today. This is uh, these are cello duets by the composer Friedrich Kummer. And in line with the theme of the Lunar New Year, and the, it's the year of the tiger, the tiger did not take away from, this, uh, from, uh, from what you will get into, but what I've learned is that the tiger is about leadership. And Kummer wrote these pieces for him and his students. And what I'm learning about playing music is that when you are a leader, you are also a follower. And you also watch over your friends, your loved ones, your fellow musicians, and you work with them and join them on their journey. 
And uh, this is what I find so fascinating and so lovely about playing these duets is because it gives me the opportunity to lead and follow. And so uh, without further ado, uh, we're going to play the Andantino uh, for two cellos in uh, F major by Friedrich Kummer. Happy 4720, Year of the Tiger. As I enter this Lunar New Year, I am reminded that bold action 
by a person born in the year of the tiger is responsible for me having a Chinese identity. Qin Shi Huang united several independent states to establish the empire named after him, China. His massive tomb, including thousands of terracotta warriors, is world famous. The Lunar New Year for me is when I especially appreciate everything Chinese, such as special foods my mother used to make, like Mian Gao, Lohan Jai, and the lucky color red, uh, red color decorations that were part of my family's traditions. As the most important holiday of this year, uh, of the year, it is generally a time to celebrate being part of a global community of overseas Chinese people. And yet I have to say that I feel less than comfortable being Chinese identified due to recent global, national, and local events. Anti-Asian hate crimes reported in San Francisco rose from nine in 2020 to more than 60 in 2021. In one local incident, an Asian American elderly man was attacked and beaten with a baseball bat in Chinatown. The legal system allowed one attacker to plead to a misdemeanor with one year probation. The other attacker apparently was not charged. My own family was threatened by an anti-Asian neighbor and with the help of this congregation and our district supervisor, this situation is now being managed. The US government is openly treating China as a global rival, and there are harsh tariffs in place that con which contribute to higher prices for US consumers. And China is accused of human rights violations in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, and Tibet. Note that the US has not had a spotless record on human rights, especially regarding BIPOC people, including Asian Pacific Islanders. Even the Beijing Olympics, typically a source of ethnic pride by the host country's diaspora, is widely regarded as controversial, not just because of the ongoing pandemic, which happened to originate from China. As I enter the year of the tiger, which is traditionally a time of commotion, uproar, and bold new moves, I sense that this year may be filled with courageous action to address not only issues facing overseas Chinese people like myself, but also other social justice issues everywhere. Taking some inspiration by, from China's best and worst emperor, Qing Shi Wang, I am resolved to choose courage over comfort this lunar year. Gong Xi Fa Tai and go bravely into the year of the tiger. Hey Joe, thanks for stopping by man. Great seeing you. Whoa, hey, how you doing? I, uh, well since you're here and I'm sitting at my kitchen table in the East Bay, why don't I just have a unilateral conversation with you? My name is Thad Smith. I am the current chair of the Society for Community Works Community Grant Committee. I'm not the only member of the committee. We have a lot of great people on it. We have Joan Rouse, Larry Danos, Daniel Jackaway, and Nancy Buffin. Now, there was a bylaw change 
with the SCW where if you're a member of USF, you're now a member of SCW without paying a fee, which is great. This year, we gave 13 grants and we spent $52,950 with grants from two to $5,000. Now you're wondering who we give the grants to. Let me just give you an example of three of them. One is the Greenlight Clinic, which provides free confidential short-term counseling to 14 to 26 year olds. Then there's LGBT Asylum Project, which provides legal assistance to people from that community who are trying to gain asylum in this country. And finally, the practice space, which focuses on empowering unrepresented voices by providing them with high quality coaching and public speaking opportunities. There's more information about our other grantees if you just scroll down on the order of service. Today's collection will go to further our grant making capacity. Our interest is to focus on organizations with smaller budgets, such as the ones I listed. And because a grant for a smaller organization with a smaller budget obviously makes more of an impact if you're giving them two to $5,000. So I really ask you to give as generously as you have the capacity to do so. Also, if you know of an organization that you think would be a good candidate for a grant, let us know. And also, if you would be interested in joining our committee, I would love to have you. So think about it and just and if you want to, contact us. Really appreciate your patience and thanks for your attention. Take care.
Today's reading is written by Kathy Park Hong, poet and essayist, child of Korean parents raised in Hong Kong. Kathy Park Hong's collection of essays, Minor Feelings and Asian American Reckoning, writes the following in her essay, The End of White Innocence. The indignity of being Asian in this country has been underreported. We have been cowed by the lie that we have it good, we keep our heads down and work hard, believing that our diligence will reward us without dignity. But our diligence will only make us disappear. By not speaking up, we perpetuate the myth that our shame is caused by our repressive culture and the country we fled, whereas America has given us nothing but opportunity. The lie that Asians have it good is so insidious that even now as I write, I'm shadowed by doubt that I didn't have it as bad compared to others. But racial trauma is not a competitive sport. The problem is not that my childhood was exceptionally traumatic, but rather that it was, in fact, rather typical. Right after Trump's election, the media reported on an uptick in hate crimes, tending to focus on the obvious heretical displays of hate, the white high school students parading down hallways wearing Confederate flag capes and graffitied swastikas, What's harder to report is not the incident itself, but the stress of anticipation. The white reign of terror can be invisible and cumulative. The poet Banu Kapil wrote the following. If I have to think about what it looks like when the far right rises, all I have to do is close my eyes and remember my childhood. A thrum of fear and shame, a tight animal alertness, unease and dread. Thank you again for having us. Uh, and I just want to say a few words about uh, the improvisation for two cellos on a tiger theme. Now, in music, there are scales that give a sort of flavor and uh, really are indicative of a style and a feeling. and. I did a little bit of uh, exploration, and uh, that we have the pentatonic scale that is so uh, in, uh, representative of, of Asian culture and, and also Chinese music, and uh, and we I've, I did a little bit of exploration, and I know that the year it's 4720, and so using the scale that I discovered. Uh, I found four tones to represent the four numbers, four, seven, two, zero. Eli, would you kindly play the four tones so that everyone knows and hears those f the, the year that we're in? So you'll hear that throughout this improvisation, and it'll help to kind of lead us through the music. Thank you.
is extraordinary. There are these funny little miracles during this time, you know? Well, every time I've lived in a place, it's had its own culture, and you celebrate and what you witness to, it's, it's a little bit endemic to that place and the people. In Washington, D.C., of course, I don't know if you've ever lived there, but you can imagine it was inescapably gorgeous when the cherry blossoms were in bloom, and the beauty and the promise of that season in that city demanded that you stop and pay attention. And there were also elections and these kind of ritual moments in a government city that would creep into life and even into worship life together. New York and New Jersey, well, we had spectacular falls, stunning, bright maple leaves and the ginkgos that you see here too. And it would come right along the same time as the Jewish high holidays, which were as mandatory for us to stop and pay witness to and reflect on as the Christian ones or any others. In San Francisco, I'm still figuring it out, summer here is about fog and fall is summer. So I am a little confused sometimes, but what's really clear is that Lunar New Year is this vital ritual season for the city and so many of us in it. And this year, as everyone else has said, is the year of the tiger. The tiger, ambitious, courageous, charismatic, bold, forthright, but in a judicious, respectful way, keepers of their word, the ones who understandably then others turn to for leadership. And so this is this year when we honor everyone who's born to that sign, but also engage in this invitation to live this set of qualities for ourselves, which seems to mean or might mean engaging the invitation to leadership. Some of the biggest breakthroughs for me, the biggest ahas for me in the first few decades since I started ministry have come around an ever-expanding and deepening notion of what leadership looks like or can, who, who moves through the world as a leader and how, all the different ways. I mean, even in the story of the tiger, there are these subtle lessons that are buried right in the fable that many of you probably remember, we've told it here before, that are about sort of a broadened sense of leadership to me, right? That story about the Jade Emperor and how he wants these guardians. And so he asks all the animals to race toward the gates of heaven. And how it isn't the tiger, the fastest, who wins. The rat wins because he gets up early and outwits his competitors, but he does hit a river mid midway and needs help, and it's the diligent ox who shows up at the river and the two of them cross together. And Rat gets in the gate first and Ox second. So Tiger, with all his swiftness and curb appeal, so beautiful and sleek, well, learns the humble lesson that the world is gonna need other gifts 
and insights to win the races that we have ahead of us. These insights help to break open, I think, a very restrictive notion of how the world moves forward for good, for transformation even. I don't know about you, but I was under the impression for a very long time that if I was going to a step into any role in the world that required leadership or even consider it, I had to be willing from the onset to pay a particular price, which was to change myself. In my case, I loved ministry. I loved and I love being with people in all the ways that ministry invites us to be together and in the world. But but the cost, I thought, the toll I would have to pay at the gates to this journey was becoming something that I really wasn't. But out of love, out of love for everything else I would, I would do. Let me tell you what I mean. I had this idea that there was this particular kind of leader, the one who gets things done, the one who moves the world the way we all want it to move. And in my understanding, that was this very particular person. It was a leader who was outwardly very confident, bigger than life. Someone who always seemed to manage to figure out on their own the right answers, bold and unflagging in drive and ambition, even ambition for larger shared good. And that image hung over me like a cloud or a reproach because I never felt like that person. And as I got a few years into ministry with a few years under my belt, I felt like this clock was ticking, not the biological clock, the leadership clock, and that I needed to figure out fast and build up the resolve to be that person, to either pretend to be, to somehow force myself to be before people stopped cutting me slack for being green and in formation and expected me to be the thing I needed to be to be able to be who I wanted to be. And at the time, there were leaders in the press, the ones who stood out or got attention in business and politics, and they were like that, the ones who got attention. I think they still are, to be honest. I mean, look at Donald Trump, or even think to yourself, who are the most well-known leaders of the tech world, the ones who get the most adulation or kind of attention? It's not Bill Gates, it's Steve Jobs, right? It's not Zuckerberg, it's Elon Musk. We have this thing for leaders who, they take on this kind of mythic proportion, these kind of tsunamis of willpower and ideas with their seemingly unstoppable egos and commanding presence. And that's what I thought I needed to find some way to become, which is silly in retrospect. But it was what I was holding on to and torturing myself with until what cracked it open was I picked up a book, not a religious book actually, but a business book of all things. And it changed my sense of who you and I can be to be powerful and world changing even. The book I picked up was called Good to Great by this researcher former professor at Stanford Business School, Jim Collins. He'd written a big hit of a book called Built to Last, which, as I recall, I never actually read it. It was about companies that were built from the beginning to be stellar performers and endure that way. 
But when he was done, there were a whole bunch of people who reached out and said, because so many of the companies and organizations in the world are ones that already exist and they might be adequate or good performers, but they're not great, people asking, what does it take to go from good to great? What about that story? How do you do that? And so, in the mid-1990s, Collins set out with a big research team to identify those people, who had, those organizations that had been decent performers and become stellar performers and done that in a sustained way and ask what were the keys to cultural and structural transformation that enabled that. And they set out and they identified through a set of criteria those that had had that kind of trajectory and others as a control group that had gone from good to great but then back down. So to compare the two and identify what made the difference. And they found, they interrogated everything they were asking. They found that there were lots of things that were useful, many things that actually apply to any organization or community that's looking at it transforming itself. But the one I found most interesting, the thing I found most interesting, was around leadership. It turns out Collins had told all of his research assistants not to look at the leadership of the organization. He thought leadership was overrated and it was overemphasized in, in its uh, general, in people's general sense of how it affected organizations. And so he told them to, he kept telling them to leave that off their list of things that they were looking at, but they kept coming back to him and saying, no, there was something about the leadership in these organizations something that was important. And finally, he set aside his bias, and they started to look at what it was. And they found that, in fact, it was pivotal. Pivotal. Which maybe isn't really surprising, because any of us who have worked in organizations or in efforts that have a good leader know how much more unifying and exciting it is to be, how much more energizing to be with someone who is a good, strong leader versus an average or even a poor leader. So maybe it's not surprising, but what was surprising were the characteristics and qualities of these leaders. Because these leaders, the ones who helped to transform organizations into world-beating organizations, ones that transformed things, they were not the over-the-top, charismatic, cult of personality folks. The ones subconsciously I had been trained, I think we all had been trained to expect, were the ones behind great things. In fact, those leaders, the splishy ones, often led companies to short-term turnarounds and later to a decline, something that lacked unity, lacked longevity. Instead, the leaders of organizations that became great from the CEOs down were marked by people of innate humility coupled with a dogged pursuit of their aims. Collins points out that, in fact, you and I wouldn't know the name of a single one of the leaders in these great companies, these ones that had gone from good to great, or their leadership team, but their organizations stayed strong. This amazed me, and it was an incredible relief. 
a humble, dogged institutionalist? I could do that. A person of sound values, working for what they want and think the world needs? We do that. It was incredibly liberating, this insight, not just for me, but I hope if any of you are harboring the same misconceptions, I hope it is for you too, because to be captive to that myth about leadership and what it is, it's to shut you out of the potential to be part of it. Interestingly, some of what it actually means then to be a leader echoes some ancient teachings about leadership. One's particularly appropriate maybe today. It echoes what I remembered learning from my reading of the Analects of Confucius, the fifth century BCE philosopher whose teachings still shape and guide about 60 million people, at least in the world, who call themselves Confucius. Confucius said the noble life the one that was drawn into service and leadership was grounded in virtue, and that these virtues were things like benevolence and courage and wisdom, and that things like benevolence, they were the ability to see what others needed or wanted, to listen for what they needed or wanted, and then to have the ability practically to go out and secure it for them. It was both this very relational, quiet, but also pragmatic, practical notion of what a leader does, at least my reading of it is. And Confucius also believed that this life, that it led by example, shaping the world, that it kind of created, it sounds like in some of his writings, like you, you created this force field around you or this culture, and that people who were drawn in or into working with you in it, they they sort of got transformed themselves, not by compulsion or edict, but just by the power of this lived instruction. It's a model I think most of us already are trying to live in our lives, right? Live by example, cultivate the listening heart, practice daily devotion to help people get what they need, ease the tide of human suffering howsoever we can, week after week after week. Keep pursuing wisdom and then link it up to courage. It's a good time, friends, to remember these facets and faces of leadership. Because it is the year of the tiger, because we can think sometimes those faces don't include our own, but they do. Because as Lori pointed out and the Chronicle did this week in an article, this is a year we need steady, institutional, world-transforming leadership because of what's going on in our very city, a tsunami of hate that's been building up through this pandemic. Because as Kathy Park Hong names children living all over our nation 
are living with a thrum of, quote, fear and shame, a tight animal alertness, unease and dread, simply for who they are, gorgeous but not white in a nation of white terror. Our AAPI family and friends, our Jewish family and friends, our black, brown, Muslim family and friends, our GLBTQIA family and friends, immigrant family and friends, need tigers in the streets. Last week was a conference for reproductive rights that our congregation helped sponsor. Lori, along with Dolores and Robin, helped to make that happen and others. We were a primary sponsor of it, and it's an issue that disproportionately reproductive rights disproportionately affects women of color. So that is about listening and trying to affect the kind of change that we need. Kudos. And the forum led a program a couple of weeks ago, one that, well, one of many that they let lead, but this one was to raise attention around arguing for the basic, for, for people who are in jail in Iran who are there for arguing for the basic freedoms of freedom to be women, <laughs> freedom of the press, freedom of speech, and they're languishing in these jails and they're in danger of execution. 30,000 people watched or listened to that program around the world. Many answered the call to sign up and continue the drumbeat of attention that might actually protect and get those people liberated, which at least lets them know they're not alone, so kudos. Our Wednesday witness on the steps of the church at rush hour continues. We are tigers. And this week, Rabbi Jonathan Singer of Temple Emmanuel and Michael Pappas of the Interfaith Council of San Francisco and I all got on a Zoom on Friday to talk about having our congregations and others join together to launch a campaign of collective action and solidarity with communities in the city who are under attack. A campaign that if we can pull it off, we hope will involve local ads on buses, witness events, and you tell me what else. We're beginning the brainstorming. If you know of any local ad executives who can help us brainstorm imagery and a motto, if you have ideas, if you want to be part of it, please let me know. It's past time. According to what I've read, the tiger of the zodiac is a leader with a strong sense of justice and an orientation to help others and serve the greater good. May it be a year of the tiger then where we draw on the gifts of everybody who is running this race to the gates of heaven. Where we remember the many faces of leadership that includes our own. Knowing that the transformation that we are all working for is probably the kind of hope for which and the work toward which drew us into religious community in the first place and keeps us here. So what a gift to do it together. May the tiger be unleashed then in all of us. And in doing so, may the year 4,720 be joyful and worthy of celebration and the roar be heard throughout this city. And 
to its healing and a celebratory end. Amen. and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Amen.